0: Welcome to another episode of the Library Sessions podcast, where we talk about teaching and learning in the library. I'm your host, Martinique, and today I'm here with my guest, co host, Mackenzie.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Uh, Welcome to our first official episode of our Carly guest series, Library Session IPAs, that's actually short for Inclusive Pedagogical Activities, um, even though I think it should be an actual beer. on today's episode, we're going to talk about connecting with diversity and inclusion programs on campus. So, to learn more, we have Dio Aldridge on today. So, Dio, can you tell us a little bit about you and your work?
2: Sure, sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dio. Um, I use the pronouns he, him, his, and my Super long title is I'm the Special Assistant to the Dean and Provost for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion here at the School of the Art Institute Chicago, or SAIC. Um, I work predominantly on the academic affairs side of the house, providing support to faculty around what inclusion looks like in the classroom. Um, so this means holding workshops, for example, on trans inclusion. Um, last year, of course, um, there was a there was big um, concern around DACA. So like having space around talking how to support undocumented students, um, talking about racial um, justice or anti-racism frameworks within the classrooms so that's a little bit of a little bit of what I do um, and just and I think um, as like another duty as assigned is just simply to be of support to folks who occupy um, underrepresented identities around campus whether that be student staff and faculty you know I think sometimes it's you know it's interesting just, like walking down the hall and then having a black student just be like, Hey, who are you? Like, are you, like, who are you? Like, what do you do? Like, what's your name? You know what I mean? That type of, you know, that community vibe is like something that I really have very much value. And I really do appreciate about my work as much as the administrative piece is very important, of course. And the workshop piece is very important. I think that communal connection um, is probably where I find the most um, joy um, out of. So yeah, to me.
0: So, Dio, what kind of background do you have, or do folks tend to have who do this kind of work?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I um, I think prior to like studying thing studying things within like you know within an within a higher education academic setting, growing up, I think just um, my so my dad's a Baptist minister. My um, my grandfather, before him, was a Baptist minister. My mom's a social worker, um, uh, and I also have my grandfather on my other side was also a teacher. So I kind of grew up around a lot of people who were just invested in in um, in humanity and invested in um, in tackling various different social issues from various different lenses. Um, so I think being within that space um, and and seeing family kind of seeing family advocate for people or seeing family just be, you know, friendly with people who, who society would cast, would cast aside, I think, um, is something that I, yeah, that definitely formed and, and yeah, formed who I am. Like, for example, I remember, so my dad one day, um, it's funny because I just told him this story a few weeks ago and he was like, well, I didn't realize I had that impact on you. Um, but we were driving down, we were, our church is in LA, right? So we're, we're we're driving and like there's this homeless man on the side of the road and my dad like stops, which my dad like stops the car and he was like, Oh, you see that guy over there? And we're like, yeah. Um, and he was like, you know, you realize that man, like, because at the time, my my little cousin Jesse had just been born, so Jesse was like probably like you know a few months old, and we were like, oh my god, this baby! We're so excited. And he was like, you see that man over there? That one, that guy over there was once was once a baby, you know. Similar to how, you know, you hold Jesse and you're super excited about him is the same way that his mother felt about him when he was born, or his community felt about him when he was born. You know, so always think about humanity in that way, regardless of where they are. That everybody started, you know, sim- similar as a baby in hands. Right. And like, that's something that I frequently go to and connect with um, as I think about, again, how I want to interact with the world and how I see value in others. Um, but that's just, yeah, that's like a small story, but.
0: Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking about that now um, when you, when you um, in your mind, go back to someone as a baby, it changes everything. And, and and I have two of my own now. And it,
2: I mean, like, it, it changes. And then I also got degrees and stuff. So, <laughs> so but yeah, no, I agree with you. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, t- totally. But yeah, I, uh, so I went and got a degree in Black Studies and I'm studying, I'm doing a master's in social work and I'm getting an MA in social justice and all those different things. But I guess it all goes back to like those human connections and that, like, like you said, the baby piece is just like. It blows my mind every time i you know think about that
1: that's a good story
2: thank you thank you i'll let him know that i'll let my dad know that as well
1: yeah <laughs> now that it's out on the world wide web you're welcome yeah, dad you right <laughs> um so speaking of higher education because not only are you a student right now getting two masters which uh, props to you for that i can't imagine what that's like um but you also work in higher education mm-hmm. so i guess selfishly, uh, we really want to know like do you have what are your feelings about libraries? Do you have good stories about the library? Anything?
2: Yeah, so um, I let me see I'm trying to think of like the first time I remember going to the library and it was definitely like I want to say like yeah, kindergarten. yeah um, yeah um, I went to um, this like it's called Panorama Baptist Elementary. When I was a kid, so my dad was a pastor, so we were able to get, like, a discount to, like, um, private schools. Um, And I remember being, like, it was a small space. um, I was small then, so I'm sure, like, if I were to go back now, it'd probably be really small. So it was this really small school. And I remember for the first, going in and walking in for the first time and being like, oh, whoa, these are where all the books are. Um, that's, you know, this is, you know, this is exciting and kind of like, um, and then also realizing that, oh, wow, I can take one of these home and bring them back. I think like that's that exchange piece is something that like um, that's kind of exciting when you're a child. And I also remember my mom taking us to libraries when we were kids too to the public libraries in our neighborhood. I grew up in um, Panorama City, California. It's like the valley, um, predominantly black and brown neighborhood, now probably more so predominantly brown. But, uh, but yeah, I also remember my mother taking us to the libraries when we were kids. And um, and I remember particularly researching, like, for a paper and using, like, Ask Jeeves
1: wow. as <laughs>
2: like, the research engine. Because we didn't have a computer at the house either. So that was the one place, too, where we could, you know, yeah, where we could ask Jeeves and, like, oh, my God, the excitement of printing things on the computer. And then also, like, being able to get books and, like, feeling like you're, like, you know, an adult kind of, I don't know, <laughs> is when you're a kid. Um, so being able to like do that, that so that's definitely like a, a memory that sticks out in my head. And then I think to like fast forward to undergrad, when, you know, you're doing the, the tour. So I went to UC Santa Barbara for undergrad. And I remember one of the selling points on the tour was like, we collaborate. And I think the UCs just changed their like, just yesterday I saw an article that about like, access to articles or something like that
1: yeah sidebar open access they're sticking it to the (laughs) man (laughs) yeah
2: yeah yeah so that's awesome yeah so like um i remember being on the uc on the tour and being like oh whoa like we're connected to the library of congress like what does like whoa like or we have you know that book exchange like i can get books from wherever even if it's not here on campus um so i think like that also just made me think of like oh wow like i wonder yeah, that, that's another. I, now they're opening it up, so that's great. But yeah, it makes me think about like access. Like, you know, if you're in high school or elementary school, the option to be able to like, get books that you didn't from other places isn't necessarily as you know accessible. But um, but hey, I guess the UCs changing the game with that piece, so that's really cool.
0: So, do you use the library at SAIC?
2: I need Mackenzie. I'm, Mackenzie probably has the file, so I can't say I have. <laughs>
1: I don't have your file. No, don't
2: worry. <laughs> I do. I don't use the library as much at SAIC. I use it at Loyola. Um, I think for my uh, oh, for,
0: your grad program? for my grad
2: program, um, but I don't utilize the SIC library as much as I should and need to. Because um, I know you all have like I'm always amazed at the special collections library. I do have every year, every semester. I take faculty on tours of the of campus. And every year, I'm particularly like excited about this about the special collections down there. On the sixth, is it um, the fifth floor, like right above, right below you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the Joan Flash Artist Book Collection, yeah, with the reading room, it's a very cool collection. Yeah,
2: um, and so I really, so every time I go, in, I'm like, oh, I need to come back. There's some, there's so much great things here, and then like I haven't, but that's for me. 2019, my goal is to utilize the SAIC Library more often.
1: Well, and even if you, I feel like you might not utilize our library as like a patron, but it's good to hear that you use it at Loyola. And for those of you that are not in Illinois, sadly, they're not easily connected unlike some other uh, like consortia that we have here. So um, I understand that, but I also feel like you're such a good advocate for the library. And even within the last maybe year, um, we have a new um, librarian at the Flaxman Alison Rollins, my colleague, who's been really great about reaching out to your office. And I feel like we've done a lot more in the last six months than maybe we ever have before, which is really great just from like even like a conversation standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do remember maybe like a year or so ago um, that you came in and did the preferred pronouns workshop with our staff, which was really great for us. And um, I don't know if I told you I was going to bring we actually have um, preferred pronoun pins that... Uh, we wear and encourage our student workers to wear. Yeah, as a way to like kind of for them to, you know, wear their preferred pronouns um, as a way to like tell people like we're cool with whatever, like just let us know. Yeah, it was really, and the nice little uh, shout out to, they're actually made by a once SAIC student. So they've gone on to um, have a pretty lucrative Etsy career. So we like to give back to our students. Yeah. um, Anyways, but I just remember that. Um, yeah. Workshop being really great. And I think I still have that handout that you gave, <laughs> that you gave us and I refer to it all the time because it was really, it felt like a really good way to approach it the way you had talked about it, but also it felt like a space where I could ask like really uncomfortable questions about. So, for instance, like I never want to put a student in a position where they feel like they have to tell me what their preferred pronoun is because many times maybe they're still deciding. Um, so, like, how do you negotiate that? And I feel like the tips and tri- tricks that you gave us for that was really helpful to me. Certainly.
2: Well, thank you, thank you. That means a lot.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but yeah, I think you you spoke about it definitely really well. But yeah, I forgot. I was like, no, I don't quite utilize the services, but I definitely collaborate with you all. Yeah, it's been a great last six months being able to find moments where we could partner on programming, on workshops, like you mentioned, and also. Allison, in particular, and thinking about artistic critique um, in that space.
1: To kind of like riff off of that a little bit, so you had said at the top of the show that a lot of the work that you do is about inclusion in the classroom, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you define inclusion and what you feel like that might look like in a classroom setting.
2: Sure, sure. Um, I've heard like cute, like um, definitions of inclusion being like inclusion would be like um, them being able to be the DJ and dance or something like that I think is what inclusion that's like the cute definition kind of which which I agree with but I also think it's important to not think of inclusion solely as being that as being easy or f- like or intrinsically fun right it's a process and it does require the giving up of something right I think Thinking about two gender inclusion, for example, and and like for men to be inclusive people, we have to relinquish power, power dynamics, right? And that's not necessarily comfortable for everybody, but that means that in order for, in us relinquishing power or taking up, you know, talking space or deciding not to take up as much talking space or allowing other people to speak is a relinquishing of something in order for other people to feel more safe and included and be able to utilize your voice in space. So that's what I see inclusion as, as being one really important for each of us to be self-aware of you know, of our identities and how they impact space and how they may impact other people. And also being aware of, yeah, being aware of that and then communication and then communicating with those around you, around you know what what would make you feel more included in this space. Um, my friend um, Kim Milan, who does like really great social justice work and she does workshops talks like she's really great um she always talks about um like the golden rule and how like you know um it's that oh treat everybody the way that you'd like to be treated or you know and that that but while that phrasing why that word of course has good intention right no one's (laughs) no one's like utilizing the golden rule is like you know as a bad as a way to you know to uh, oppress other people or whatever but um but it's also really important to think about like um, that we shouldn't utilize ourselves as the standard for how other people should like to be would like to be treated, but instead asking them, okay, like, allowing space for them to to tell you like what they would like to be treated as as opposed to centering yourself in that conversation. Um, so that's really interesting, that was a really interesting thing reframe for me to think about not utilizing myself as the standard, but again, communicating with other people to learn about what makes them feel included in the space. And within the classroom, Specifically, you know, it's an art school, so you know, um, so critique, um, the critique, or um, how do I, how would I define critique? Um, basically, critique is um, a space where someone shows their art, and their peers, um, the com- the community in the classroom will speak about the work, provide feedback, um, or speak to what they see or what they don't see, and yeah, so it's like a feedback space, um, and so what we see often is when. A work revolves around identity specifically. Um, people may may shy away from speaking about the racial elements or the gender elements because they feel either uncomfortable or not prepared. Or you know, hey, race is like, and hey, I want to you know also race is hard for people to speak about sometimes, right? Too. So I also want to create like a lot of space for that. So um, our workshops talk about um, how to. It's called the room of silence um, workshop, um, and I also want to say give a shout out to RISD because they also, they have a video that I utilize in the workshop that's called The Room of Silence that talks about these things, these concepts specifically. But in the space we, we, the first question I ask um, everybody is, or the check-in question to try to get people into the mindset of thinking critically is, um, what do people assume about you? Um, and that's a really intre- I get really interesting responses, um, and and I think it kind of opens up for the space for you know, of course, students of color will often say, "Oh, people think you know I'm not smart," or people will think that I'm not a student here, or people will think that um, people will assume what my like race. For international students, people will try to guess what my race is, and that's not cool. And for white students, hey, you know, people don't think that I care about race, or like people assume that I'm rich, you know? So that's something that comes up. Um, so it's really interesting creating a space where people feel vulnerable first, a little bit vulnerable or kind of opening up. That's really important. And then from there, I try to take it to, um, to talking about how important community guidelines are around spaces that are meant to form dialogue, right? Um, because in those moments too, where maybe someone might say something offensive or where someone might say something that is um, that just rubs people the wrong way it's important to I think often like people just like will'll um, will try to like pass over that moment okay like I'm just gonna pretend that didn't happen and we're just gonna continue but you no, know, like pretending something didn't happen actually causes more harm right um, and if we're yeah. in a community space and if we're if we're in the privileged space of being in a classroom setting, we're supposed to be able to have that dialogue, right? Um, we're supposed to say like, hey, you know, you said something, but it kind of hurt my feelings or it, it or it particularly read me the wrong way because of this and this reason. It's important to continue and further that conversation. Um, I'm a big fan of naming things. You know, if someone's mispronounced naming. Oh, someone was mispronoun, let's use the right pronoun for this person and then move forward. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but... but um, yeah, but I think the community guidelines piece is very, very important, and then learning and then constructively creating together, like how you will navigate those hard moments, I think is how I go about kind of framing that space and create being able to create a common language around like around um, how to approach you know moments when people feel uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, and I think to your point about having them create the guidelines um, is so important because I also feel like the classroom dynamics here can vary so wildly from class to class. You know, the way that SAIC is structured is it's you're not always going to have students that are even like the same uh, like place in their studies, right? Like you might have a class that's full of first years and third years, Um and from all different kind of uh, interests when it comes to artistic practice. And then on top of that, you might also have a faculty member who um, is also like doing something completely different. And so I think having that kind of buy-in when you're, and like being invested in creating those guidelines together, specifically for that group, um, is such an important piece um, to having a much more like successful future dialogues, especially when they're hard. Um, Because I think, you know, some guidelines might work in one class and might not be as successful in others. And I think that being invested and buying in from your community is really important.
2: True, true. And and something else that I try to, like, try to stress on folks is, like, those community guidelines, I think it's really important that, like, yeah, we're in an academic setting, but these things work in real life. Like, my wife and I be like, hold up let use some I statements up in here. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So I also try to like break it down and like, Hey, like we're talking about this within the classroom setting and it's really important, but also, you know, take these onto your, your personal lives as well. You know what I mean? Um, we also do a sheet um, that's called commute. What's it called? Communication. Um, my communication style. And it's questions like, and it's frustrating for people because it's open-ended um, which I think, which I love because it's like, yeah, you know, it's, just like communication with anybody, sometimes we, all, we are still trying to figure it out, or we're still trying, you know, we don't, we might say something, right, but um, but it might not land on someone's ears the way that we intended it to, right? Um, so, some like, one of the questions are, like, when I'm angry, I do this. When I'm angry, I need this. Or when I'm not aware of something, I need to do this. Um, and, you know, and it's really, and we go through those, and it's, yeah, but anyway, that's kind of like an aside. Um, I enjoy kind of having people kind of wrestle with these questions and of, you know, of, yeah, let me analyze how I, how I react, what my reactions are to things. That's also really important to understand how you react to hard moments.
0: I, um, I feel like I have so many more questions for you and so many more like me too and this, um, I'm going to try and restrain myself. Although I have to say this one. Um, I am obsessed with the idea of naming, and I I swear like if I went if I went and got a Ph.D. in rhetoric or something, I would do my entire dissertation on naming. Mm. Um, and what it and when you name something, you call it into existence. And um, and whenever I go on this tangent with my students, I don't know if you all are Harry Potter fans. Maybe if you are not, our listeners are. But Dumbledore once said fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i'm just like yes um anyways that's my aside so i want to talk i want to ask you a little bit more about um you're talking about the room of silence and critique in the art classroom and, and sort of building community and how you need guidelines to do that and a lot of librarians who care deeply about this work only see students for like 50 or 75 minutes and and so in those scenarios, we don't really have an opportunity to build an extended relationship. And I've, I've thought a lot about this. I know a lot of other folks have that there are still small ways we can do that. But thinking about a scenario like that where you are teaching, um, you want students to learn. In order for students to learn, they have to believe that you care about them, that you're, you know, that you're aware of all of these things, but you don't have the time to together create these kind of community guidelines. Do you have some ideas for what that might look like in a more finite interaction? Sure,
2: sure. Yeah, if you have like 10 minutes with someone, how do you make that moment meaningful and also make the person feel like you are an inclusive entity, or like you are striving for inclusion and want them to feel included in your space. Um, right. Yeah. So um, like Mackenzie was talking a bit earlier about the pronoun piece. So like that being a space where, you know, once you initially meet someone, initially meeting someone, so, hey, I use Dio. I mean, I'm Dio, I use he. Um, if you'd like to share yours, feel free to let me know. But, um, you know, so that's kind of like a moment where you like, where kind of triggers a good in a good way, um, <laughs> that uh, that um, that oh wow this person is thinking about it within this particular way, or thinking about um, acts, uh, working with me or thinking or acknowledging that my pronouns potentially could be different than what they perceive or see. So that's like one thing, and I think maybe following up with like oh so like um, a question that kind of gets to I love how you asked me earlier like how have you accessed libraries before. So like that being like, oh yeah, like we all have different ways of that. We've accessed, you know, the library space before. What is your history with the library? I'm just curious, like no judgment too, right? Because I think also we wanna make sure that people that don't feel like, oh my God, I've only been in the library like once in my entire life. Maybe creating a space around like, oh yeah, some people like have, you know, have used the library for tons of years and have are used to it. Some people aren't, but like, you know, we're here for everyone in between and beyond that, right? Um, and also asking, like, I'm here for you. I'm here to, sur- to, to provide support to you. So please, you know, let me know if there's anything that I can do better or anything that I can do that would make this space more welcoming. I think, you know, yeah, like, what can I do to make this space more welcoming? Um, that question alone could also be like, could really, you know, illuminate like, oh, this person really cares about like how I'm accessing this space and really cares about how, I'm interacting with it and they want to see me come back. So that's why they're asking me these questions. Um, um, that might also be be able to spur um, spur some, some type of engagement. And I also think I don't want to like, I also think that it's really important that um, your students or whoever is working with you also gets to know you a little bit. I think there's always, you know, that human, I, I can't stress enough how important human connection is and just like, genuine, like eye contact and like, you know what I mean? Share a little bit about yourself. Like I, I struggled waking up this morning. How are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? um, like those like small moments really do kind of humanize you. Cause I think that's part of the thing too, is as a staff member within any capacity, you know, um, I mean, students of course acknowledge and know that you're human, but <laughs> the human, the humanizing piece and them seeing you for who you are, um, is also really important. It's vice versa. I think it's, it's supposed to be reciprocated, not just, you know, one person to the other.
1: Yeah. I, it's so funny you say that Dio. Cause something that I do often as I, I do this thing that I learned in therapy a long time ago, which is like, you know, when you get frustrated or mad or you're in a fight with somebody, you know, oftentimes they're like, are you tired? Are you well, like, have you, Had enough to eat? Like, what? So, sometimes at the beginning of class, I say, you know, especially if it's a morning class, I'm like, is everyone caffeinated? Should we leave the lights on? How did did everyone get in today? And I think that just the acknowledgement of that, or like right after lunch, I'm like, if anyone, you know, needs to do like post food coma nap, I totally get it. Just like even calling it out for what it is and being like, yes, we're all here to learn, but also I also understand that like, a person outside of this classroom too really helps and one other thing that recently um i had this really nice moment with um a student who um actually works at the front desk and you know every once in a while there have been situations that i've seen like exchanges that i've seen happen and you know i didn't really i couldn't really read from being an external person like to that conversation how it went and even just a simple like hey, was that okay? Like, are you okay? And I had this um, this student actually emailed me the other day and was like, hey, thanks so much for checking in on me. It's really nice that that happens." And so I think even just being able to like, see how people are feeling and just like a simple check-in about like, how are you feeling? Is that okay? Do you need help? Like being able to do it in a quick kind of one-on-one way is really helpful for students in general. But yeah, I like the library question. That's a good one. I'm going to use that.
0: <laughs> so I, I'm thinking a lot about um, you said you were talking in the beginning, Dio, about um, relinquishing power and giving space for other folks to speak. And I wonder. I, I talked to someone recently who said that um, in meetings, sometimes she guides discussions or she she prompts people to speak or people to hold, you know, like to not speak and to leave space for like women to speak or people of color to speak first or whatever, to to sort of try to balance a historical imbalance. And said that she's done that in the classroom too. And I wonder if you, what you think about doing something like that in the classroom, if that's accomplishing what you, Like if that's actually accomplishing, relinquishing power, and giving space to speak, or if it's, if it could have other, you know, like, is it a good idea or a bad idea?
2: Mm -hmm. You marinate on that one for a sec.
0: Yeah, fair enough. This woman told this to me and I, you know, I encourage people to speak in my library classes and um, not that my, I mean, my anecdotal experience is backed up by like tons of research that it tends to be. Um, male identified students who volunteer. Like, whose topic should we start with just as a sample? And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't know if I, and I don't have to try and do everything in my 50 minutes with students, but I've, I've just been thinking about that. And um, we don't have to have an answer right now, but it-
2: thinking about it a little. Uh, thank you for giving, for speaking a little bit more and allowing me like another 30 seconds to, to marinate. <laughs> um, uh, I would say, I, I, I definitely appreciate that methodology, I think. um, But I also think it's important that people know that's what's happening, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think it's important for people to be conscious that that's, you know, because at the end of the day, if there's like, for example, a white male in the room and he has no idea that like the conversation is being facilitated in a particular way so that everybody has the option to speak, then how then is he going to move into other spaces and you know, and strive for that same for that same kind of yeah for that same kind of dynamic, right? Um,
0: I see, because you don't want you we don't want to like do it to them. We want to do it with yeah, them. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. Um, I think that yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. Because at, at the end of the day, when I am speaking, or when I yeah again when I'm when I'm in that space, I want whatever whatever we we decide is is good or whatever we decide should be protocol, not protocol, that sounds like a weird word, but whatever we decide should be community guidelines. I want them to not just utilize them within the classroom. I want them to take that into the world. Um, so I think them being conscious of what's happening is really important for it to to spill into the world, I think is how I'm thinking about it. But yeah, I definitely have a community guideline that's like, um, what's I think I use a cute word for it. There's like one diva one mic, which is like you know, no one's speaking over other people. Um, and then I try to do another one that's called land the plane, which is like um, you know, if you're a person that tends to like take you know two minutes to finish a finish <laughs> a thought in a community space, maybe we should and I tell them like no shade, like just land the plane a little bit. You know what I mean because like just be mindful of how much space you're taking up when you're explaining yourself. And then another one is, you know, if if um, there's an exact phrase, but I do specifically say if you are speaking, if you've spoken more than twice, like challenge yourself to listen and and then bring try to bring in your other colleagues to to speak. Um, I think another piece of that conversation around like allowing um, people of underrepresented identities to speak more, I think, is you have to empower your students to speak right um because there could be there's a thousand reasons why maybe a student of color or a woman or shit a woman of color may not speak in a space right because um there's imposter syndrome is cute is all up and through there i deal with i definitely have imposter syndrome as hell um and sometimes myself like you know don't feel comfortable speaking in space so like So, you have to also be mindful of those underlying dynamics and figuring out within the classroom how you empower your students, but also outside, like on that one on one that we were talking about earlier, how you also, you know, whether it be in office hours or whether it be, you know, as you're passing by, like, hey, like, we talked about this in class last week, but like, what did you, what do you think about it? You know, because I think that one on one will hopefully lead to them maybe feeling more comfortable um, speaking, you know, um, later on or in a later class. I also think it's important to think about um, just ability um, in regards to like, you know, and is participation not solely being as verbal, you know, as, you know, so allowing spaces for, you know, whether it be written comments or, you know, and me too, like sometimes I can be a slow processor. So like, it'll be a whole 30 minutes after the meeting when I have like all these ideas. Um, so like, uh, so yeah. So also understanding too that, you know, speaking up in class isn't necessarily the only way that people can participate, but allowing space for outside of the classroom or written within the classroom. Cause you know, different abilities, you know depending on your anxiety level, being called on in class isn't cute either, um, but also, I've also heard that for international students, being called out, being called on in class is actually better for them. For international students, particularly from Korea and China, that it's actually better, or they prefer to be called on in class because the other methodology of raising your hand and, and participating is just a, a different is not the way that they've been that um, they've experienced the equivalent of their K through twelve education. So that's also an interesting piece.
0: Mackenzie do you have um you have more questions for Dio don't you or I'm happy to keep going but I want to um you know leave space for your questions too.
1: I I guess the the only thing I wanted to talk a little bit more about specifically and I feel like there's so many good things that we've been talking about that we could kind of reapply this to but um you know I know you do you talked about some of the workshops you've done around campus and i mentioned a little bit about what you've done at the library and I'm wondering I guess if other people who have similar um, departments on campus how you might uh, encourage them or like in what ways might they think about connecting with academic departments like like yours because I think some of it is just not like being I think a lot of librarians I know are like really excited about this work and they're like yeah we'll go to the office and we'll chat with somebody, but also making sure that it's not just, like, then your responsibility to, like, come up with a thing that you're going to, like, help teach us, but how we can best kind of facilitate collaboration. So are there things that we can do as staff slash faculty slash instructors? We live in this weird kind of Mm -hmm. alternative universe, but what are some things that we can do in preparation for reaching out to departments like yours, or are there specific ways that you see... Like natural collaboration between the library and, and offices of diversity and inclusion.
2: The initial when you were speaking, one of the ideas that came to mind was um, connecting with. Um, so we're in an academic department, but also, and I also know that, like for for example, Allison has connected with like BSU, the Black Student Union, really, you know, closely. Um, Right. So like uh, connecting with your student organizations that are on campus that are potentially affinity group spaces or spaces that are around identity, I think w- would be really is a good space, you know, inviting them in. am um, inviting them to utilize the services, but also understanding. But I also think, you know, um, being able to and, I'm, and you all articulate this really well, being able to articulate the benefits of being able to utilize, you know, the library and also like, hey, you're paying for it. you know what i mean and i i think once people are illuminated to like oh wow all of this is possible within this space i think that really helps but i think particularly targeting communities who often haven't had a lot of access to so i think the student organization piece is really can be a really key component um and i think like with us our collaboration came out of um Basically, faculty being like, oh, like, here's these subject areas that, you know, I'm not completely comfortable in speaking about. Um, we're like, oh, wait, the library has books on those things. Um, or the, You know what I mean? Or like the library can be a resource to you um, when, you know, uh, when there's sub- particular subject areas that you don't feel comfortable in. Right. Because there's I'm sure there's books. I'm sure there's texts. Um, so I would say, like for the li- for librarians piece, just kind of like gauging what concerns are on the faculty level, um, what um, what particular yeah, what what are concerns that faculty members are having in the classroom? Is it pedagogy? Is it is it and identifying those things, and then creating um, I won't say space, but like creating some type of potential programmatic element out of that. So for us we're going to be, we're going to, like, damn, is it, like, two weeks from now? Um, we're going to be doing, um, we're holding a space specifically to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that, like, yeah, there is this gap between what students want may want to, like, learn and engage in, and within the, within the realm of diversity, because the canon within art history, for example, or the canon within a lot of artistic spaces has been predominantly white, um, even though we know artists of color and women have been, like, and disabled artists have been you know, around forever. Um, but of course, in academic setting, sometimes that representation isn't there. Um, so now we're we're trying to encourage faculty to learn how to like fill in that gap and, utilize, and to utilize the library as a resource. So we McKenzie and Allison are awesomely, you know, hosting, um, or collaborating and hosting a space where they're gonna present on like, you know what issues what have served as barriers for people in accessing the library for their students so that faculty are aware of it and how can faculty themselves utilize the library um, and not because who knows they also too might have some like hang-ups or also have not been able to have accessed the the library um, in meaningful ways prior to right um, so that's also important to think about
1: yeah definitely i'm excited the, the like lunch that we're um, collaborating on i think will be great too because I think it'll be a good moment to kind of shine some light on this idea that, like, libraries are both, on, on the one hand, like, super accessible. Like, I feel like some faculty are always in the library, always using it, and they don't always understand that students don't have the same view of the library. And that a lot of times students have a lot of anxiety about using the library. And so kind of shining some light on that, but also that, like, we're also very imperfect in a lot of the systems that we have in place and that we are trying to work on those, but that also like we're not perfect and that, you know, there's no expectation of them coming to the library and already like knowing exactly what they need or that, you know, there's some kind of judgment that they're not doing something already, but that like we're all work in progress and that um, it's important, I think, to just be open about that and again, like connecting on this human level of sure, like maybe you don't have a super good handle on this one pedagogical approach and I don't even know how to spell it. Like that's that's the other thing I tell students a lot because I'm a terrible speller, to come together in this like, okay, there's lots of things we don't know, but let's utilize the skills that we do have to try to figure it out together. I think is gonna be a really good, hopefully a good moment. So I'm excited about that, certainly. Yeah, and also just really trying to situate The library as like in the ways that I think your office has made a lot of really great strides as being like a truly supportive academic department that we are also there to support faculty not just in their classrooms but also with their own research and as humans in the world because I think oftentimes I think we feel a little bit siloed in that capacity and I know other librarians have expressed similar things where like we're kind of our own thing a lot of times and Um, so to kind of collaborate with another department that I feel like you all have already have like a really good reputation on campus (laughs) and a lot of that we should give props to you. You do such amazing work. Um, yeah, I mean, your whole team, true, but it's nice. nice. It's nice to collaborate with somebody that already kind of has that like reputation, I guess. So we're excited about that. Thank you.
0: Sounds like you both are doing such great work over there. I, I want to be mindful of everyone's time, and so I'm especially curious, Dio, as you um, graciously agreed to join us today. If there's anything that you hoped would come up or that you thought would come up that we haven't talked about,
2: we repeat the last sentence again. Sorry.
0: Just just if there's anything that you hoped that we would talk about today, or that you expected that we might talk about today, and we haven't, and I want to give you give you a chance to you know, bring that forward
2: if there is. It's cold outside. Make sure to hydrate. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure to use lotion. <laughs> um, take care of yourselves. You know, you're only your best to the people around you. If I think that's also, I mean, self-care plug. I, and also, I hate, like, self-care has kind of become, like, this, like, you know, what's the word? Jargon, rhetoric, rhetorical, I don't know, term that everybody's throwing around everywhere. But it's, like, so true, you know. Um you can only be your best to the people around you that you're trying to support if you're taking care of your, taking care of your being. And shout out to the librarians out there making moves and you know and helping people with their research projects and like, and that are stressed out and like feet like <laughs> having having moments in the library. We you know I appreciate you and thank you for all that you do. I think um, I don't think librarians get enough love out here, so I just wanted to say that.
0: <laughs> oh, well, thanks. That's a, that's a nice note to end on. Okay, well, that's all for today. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Library Sessions podcast. We have great stuff coming up, so be sure to tune in next time. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an idea for a show, a comment, a question, To find out more about our guests today, that's Dio Aldridge. Grab any links we talked about today. I wanna get that link for the Room of Silence video um, and anything else that came up. Check out our website, thelibrarysessions.wordpress.com. Email us at librarysessionspodcast at Gmail or follow us on Facebook at Library Sessions. Thanks again to Mackenzie for organizing today's episode and Dio, huge thanks for joining us today.
3: Hi everybody, it's Jen here with a quick little addition and update at the end of the episode. First, uh, Dio wanted to be sure to acknowledge his team in the Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for Academic Affairs at the School of the Art Institute. So he wants to thank Christina Gomez, who's the Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for Academic Affairs, and Katherine Crawford, the Special Assistant to the Associate Provost for Academic Planning and Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. We wanted to be sure to add that into the episode. And then also Martinique and I wanted to start soliciting some submissions for an upcoming episode that we'd really like to do about kind of instruction horror stories. So times where things didn't go the way you wanted. Maybe they were downright horrible. Maybe they were little snafus that you were able to correct somehow. Maybe nothing went right and the whole thing fell apart and it's Still, one of your worst memories of academic instruction. We'd love to hear about all of those things. You can get in touch with us a few different ways. You can email us at librarysessionspodcast at gmail, or we have a snazzy new Google Voice number. We'd love it if people wanted to record a short message for us, and then we can actually play it on the podcast. You know, if you send us an email, we can read your words, but we would love to have some audio. So our number is eight four seven. Please go ahead and leave us a message. That would just be amazing. We would love to hear all of your stories. So get in touch and thanks for listening. The Library Sessions is produced by Martinique Callarduff and Jennifer Laubond and it's released under a Creative Commons license with some rights reserved. To find out more, visit thelibrarysessions.wordpress.com.